Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I think the, I think the, the red thread uh, during all this, uh, my, my path was, was diversity. I think since... Uh, I think you've experienced that as well, that when you're born from uh, with different origins and the sense of identity is a complex <laughs> uh, concept to deal with. So yes. I think looking back and maybe I, I'm just post rationalizing my story, but uh, I think it's not uh, it's no wonder that I end up working in trying to help brands um, build a uh, uh, a consistent identity and translate it in different uh, uh, parts of the world because it's linked to um, it's linked to the topic of diversity and, and, and having a, a complex identity. How you day? How you day? That was the voice of Lawrence Lim Daly, and we dive into what she calls branding identity. Yes, branding identity. You're gonna want to listen to find out what that is exactly. We talk about her life being someone that lived in between multiple. Uh, aspects of Europe and Asia. We talk about what she does professionally, where she is really someone that's an expert on the Chinese market. And with that expertise, she's brought a lot of that into the United States as well as Europe. And the things that she does reveal, I found fascinating. I'm sure you will find fascinating. Because in this world that we live in, the world that is affected by the pandemic, the idea of connecting across cultures, especially on a business level, is becoming more paramount. It's a skill that is actually irreplaceable. And what she does and the way she approaches these mindsets and these businesses, I find very essential. So you're going to want to listen. And she's also very engaging. And I just love people that are passionate about what they're doing and people that are interested in being bridges. And she is one heck of a bridge. Hope you enjoy the episode and you check out her website. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Lawrence Lim Daly. Now, Lawrence is an expert about diversity and decoding cultural differences. After five years working for the French government on diversity and equality opportunities, Lawrence moved to Hong Kong in 2008 and founded Cherry Blossoms Market Research and Consulting with the ambition to bridge the gap between East and West. Cherry Blossoms is helping Western brand and beauty hospitality, jewelry, and watches, as well as fashion, wine, spirits, in order to understand cultural differences between Asia and the West so that they can better resonate with Asian consumers. Lawrence is currently based out of New York City. That's where we are. And he's a frequent keynote speaker on China and marketing. And I'm so excited to have her here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Taylor. Happy to be here. 
Mais salut, bienvenue, bienvenue. Uh, uh, <laughs> how is, uh, I'm very curious about your background, because we talked on the phone, we discussed yeah. it, and you, you know, you brought up French, you brought up the fact that you, you, you work at Asian markets, you talked to me about how you grew up, and I was like, yes, this has to be a podcast episode, because the audience is, is very familiar with growing up in multiple different parts of the world. So can you take us back to the very beginning? Yeah, back to... Uh... Uh, I'm French. I was born uh, in Paris, uh, born and raised in Paris. Um, my father is um, Cambodian Chinese, and my mom was a uh, Jewish Tunisian. So I grew up in a yeah, multicultural, uh, uh, multicultural environment, but with a dominant of um, dominance of French uh, French culture, I would say. Um, more about my background. Uh, I started. Um, I was very passionate about uh, literature since uh, since very young. So I, I decided to start uh, studying humanities uh, for three years. So uh, with a with a major focus on uh, on literature, but also uh, uh, philosophy, uh, history, foreign languages, and um, which was very uh, the, I think the most uh, the most enriching period of my life at uh, intellectually. Um, mm -hmm. but then after, uh, after these three years, I realized I didn't, I didn't want to be a to become a teacher. So I, I applied and I started to prepare the entrance for business school and I integrated the, um, ATC business school. And, uh, I found myself quite, quite bored, uh, learning uh, business and, and management. So um, at the same time, I prepared a, a master's degree in, uh, Uh, French literature and uh, English literature at the at the Sorbonne University. So I tried to reach a, a sort of uh, of balance between uh, between business and, and and culture. And then um, after I graduated, I had my first uh, professional experience abroad. Actually, I went to uh, to New York, uh, working for an advertising agency uh, on on Broadway, and that was really, um, I think, a revelation for me. Like I really realized at that moment that I wanted <laughs> later on to uh, to live abroad because I thought mm -hmm. the I thought everything had more uh, more yeah more flavor. Like uh, daily life became more yeah extraordinary and um, uh, and then but then so I did I, I I wished I could have stayed longer in New York but it was the time of the the war in Iraq so I had I had to move back to uh, I had to move back to France and this is where I was hired in a market research institute called Caliconti uh, which was specialized in semiotics And I, this was another discovery for me because uh, so semiotics is the decoding of uh, of signs and, and symbols, and um, which is very useful in bronze communication. Uh, and I thought this was fascinating. It's funny because uh, when I was studying uh, marketing uh, in my business school, I didn't find it that uh, uh, I didn't realize how, how how fascinating it could be. But learning through semiotics, I understood how um, the deeper language of communication and how um, advertisements, which I always considered a little bit uh, shallow, uh, could actually carry very, very deep meaning and, uh, and, and rely on a very sophisticated language um, and image and aesthetic system, which was, uh, which was really fascinating. So I did that for a year. 
And um, and after a year, um, I was introduced to um, my future mentor, which uh, who absolutely uh, changed my my path and my and my life. Um, and this man, he's a uh, he's also very uh, he's he's um, also from diversity. He's a uh, his name was uh, is Yazid Sabeg, and he was a very um, very atypical man uh, uh, coming from French, but coming from uh, Algeria. Uh, very cultivated, very brilliant, and also uh, one of the rare minority uh, CEO uh, in France uh, of a listed company. And he was very close to the um, political circles, and he he was trying to promote uh, affirmative action uh, and more inclusivity in France. And we had a great uh, a great contact, and he asked me to become his ghostwriter, uh, to write uh, articles for the press or speeches uh, for his public appearances. Uh, so I worked I worked for him for um, a few months, and then he was named um, by the French government uh, to help bringing more uh, more equity in um, in urban policies in France. And so he offered me a job. Uh, which of course I accepted immediately, and I and for five years I, I worked for the for the the minister of uh, social I don't know how to translate that but social cohesion and uh, right. uh, employment right. and urban renewal in France, yeah. uh, which was yeah. an amazing experience. Wow! Wow! <laughs> and uh, should I continue? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. There's a lot of fascinating <laughs> things to unpack here, but. No, please carry on. So after, it's always been this balance between public sector, private sector, culture, and the, you know, and the, and business. So after five years, um, my boss offered me to um, another job uh, and to move to Algeria because he was supposed to to take over a huge uh, Algerian conglomerate. So totally different, uh, totally different. Uh, uh, job, uh, but eventually uh, that project uh, didn't happen. But the thing is, after this uh, after this episode, I, I really um, it really uh, revived the the desire to go uh, uh, and live abroad. And at that time, uh, um, my partner had uh, an opportunity to go to Hong Kong um, to open the branch of uh, his consulting firm. So uh, I decided it was the right time to, you know, switch gear and uh, and uh, maybe get also back to uh, to real business. But 2000, it was back in 2008, which was, uh, if you remember, the year of the financial crisis. So yeah. it was very difficult for me. Recession. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. One, another one. And um, so I couldn't find a job there. So what I did is that I contacted my former boss from uh, from Cali County. Uh, and I and I had an idea because I, I observed that in um, I observed that in Hong Kong there were a lot of um, expat wives from uh, all around the world, uh, which were uh, very well educated, and uh, had a lot of time on their hands. So I suggested to my um, to my former boss to to take charge of his uh, international uh, market studies, and to have them done uh, by these women. So this is how I started my first uh, my first business, and I created uh, uh, my first company to do that. 
And uh, I think a year later, I had this idea, which really is the starting point of Cherry Blossoms. I had the idea to, um, uh, because I was, I was still, um, I was, uh, I was still very interested in semiotics and this idea to decode uh, the signs and the imagination and the representations of. Uh, and uh, I, I thought it would be a great opportunity because China at the time was still. Uh, an identified object. People, the Chinese market was already very big, but people didn't really understand the, the cultural specificities of uh, of Chinese consumers. So I had this idea to um, to um, to research on um, and to explain in a very um, simple way uh, basic cultural differences uh, between Westerners and Chinese in terms of aesthetics, in terms of mindset, in terms of values. In terms of imagination, um, so I analyzed uh, hundreds of uh, luxury advertisements, print advertisements at the time, uh, and decoded all the these codes and explained. Took that opportunity to explain um, these cultural differences between China and the West, and I call this study uh, "Closer to China," um, which I sold to um, a luxury group, and after that it. Uh, um, it snowballed, and I and I started an, an expertise on that, uh, um, uh, helping luxury brands better understand China and uh, and localize uh, localize their communication. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, so that's that's that. <laughs> that that is amazing. I, I wanted to Sorry. stop there because it, this is why I wanted to stop there. You you, it's clear to me that your cultural background and your your love for marketing and branding has played a role. You are so curious about the world and you're curious about traveling, curious about exploring different cultures. It somehow turned into a career. And the reason why, when I was, when you were talking earlier before the show and you were saying that you had this windy uh, story, you don't know if it would matter. I'm telling you it does matter because people that listen to the show are always curious about how they can make or find some clarity with all the, the interest that they have. And so with you now, Lawrence, looking back, what, what were those pivotal moments when you realized that, whoa, your thing is decoding branding identity. Your thing is really figuring out how to be a bridge. Um, I think my objective was not to decode. I think my initial objective was to learn. Mm. I think since, uh, since very young, I need, <laughs> like eating, I need to learn uh, uh, new things and um and I think I needed unconsciously, I was looking for a job um, where I could combine uh, culture, knowledge, and uh, and business. Yes. Cultural marketing, I think this is exactly what I uh, what I was meant to uh, what I was meant to do, but this kind of job don't exist on the on the job market, so you need to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. It doesn't exist. and but then you you created, first of all, it's very important. I want the audience to understand this. She continued to nurture relationships, right? There was, she had a mentor and that, you know, the mentors, you and the mentor were able to work together where you provide a value to, to him several times that, you know, he would invite you to several things. But then you also, because you, you know how to learn and see things, you started to see gaps, you know, and you're like, huh, well, that could be better. Based on what I've I've exposed myself to, what if I did such and such? And then you took the leap. You actually launched a business, a consultant firm. 
And and here you are right now, you know, the, during this time and you're still like you were telling me earlier, you still have clients who are very much in need of your services. I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. I think the I think the the red thread uh, during all this uh, my my path was was diversity. I think since uh, I think you've experienced that as well. But when you're born from uh, with different origins in the sense of identity is a complex. <laughs> Uh, concept to deal with. So yes. I think looking back, and maybe I, I'm just post-rationalizing my story, but uh, I think it's not, uh, it's no wonder that I end up working in trying to help brands um, build uh, uh, a consistent identity and translate it in different uh, uh, parts of the world because it's linked to, um, it's linked to the topic of diversity and, and, and having a, a complex identity. Yeah, yeah. And okay, so let, let's stay there. You say identity, but I was reading uh, a lot about you and you have this term. I don't know if you coined a term, but you talk about it a lot. You said branding identity. So that led me to wonder, what is the difference between branding identity and branding? I think I consider um, there's one marketing concept that I remember, uh, <laughs> the only one, uh, is the concept of brand as a person. So I really, uh, in, in what we're doing, I really, I keep considering um, the brand as a person with an origin, with a name, with a personality, with a culture, values, etc. Um, so our job is really to make sure that it's like a psychoanalyst, you know, when you need to, to understand what makes you the, the core identity of a person to really uh, um, understand who that person is, to um, uh, en français, on dit accoucher l'identité, je sais pas le dire. <laughs> I can't know the hide the identity. identity, you say you're saying? No, when you accoucher une identité, accoucher de, de l'identité. You know, you, when you try to uh, make your patient understand and reveal him to himself, really discover yeah, his own identity. Yeah, reveal it, uncover, uncover your identity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah. So I think I think of our job as um, making brands more aware of what makes their identity different. And then uh, we help them how to make sure that this difference is well conveyed in uh, foreign cultures and foreign, uh, in foreign markets. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that, that's brilliant, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, but the, the subtle difference there, it's, it's like you, there's a personality to the brand that you're given um, and when you're when you're talking about France, and you're talking about the Western world, and you're talking about China. What has been that gap that you've noticed? But there's a huge gap um, between you mean between Western brands and the and the oui. China market. Oui, oui, oui. Yeah. A, uh, I think um, if we compare the situation now compared to ten years ago, of course, Western brands are getting much closer, and I think. Uh, a lot of cultural differences are fading uh, at global level with globalization. Um, but I work a lot for luxury brands, so the mostly for luxury brands. And, and luxury ten years ago had to remain distant. It was part of the concept itself of luxury to 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 keep this distance with with their audience. And ten years ago, Western brands were um, they were as rational in China because they were Western brands. Uh, and it had this aura. So people, I think Chinese people didn't, couldn't 
really relate uh, to these brands, but that was actually the purpose and that was part of their appeal and desirability in China. And now uh, the situation is totally reversed because uh, uh, all, all brands in China, all Western brands uh, addressing the China market now have to make the effort to reach them, to raise emotion, to be different. And to be different, they need to get familiar with their audience. And yeah. they're struggling right now to, to find the right distance and to liaise, to build a bridge, um, to be relatable for the China audience. And I, my, my feeling is that a lot of brands are losing control of their communication right now in China because uh, another influence, the growing uh, importance of influencer marketing. I think because brands were so dif- distant from their audience, influencers and local influencers uh, um, just, just uh, occupied that space and bridge. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today the gap between uh, uh, bronze and, um, and the Chinese audience. Yeah, and these are influencers in China? or, or yes. in the West Chinese or the influencers yeah. who communicate, uh, who, promote, uh, uh, who promote Western bronze, and they, they, they embody them in a very uh, relatable way for Chinese. First of all, because they speak Chinese, uh, and second, because they are able to, you know, Put more context around it, embody a lifestyle, embody a personality, use more humor, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of Western brands don't dare to use a little bit of humor in their region and <laughs> take themselves very seriously in China. Not only in China. But... You know why I notice this a lot? So I, I watch a lot of movies. I consume a lot of media. And the marketing for movies here is very different than it is in China. First of all, there is a Chinese window when, you know, sometimes Western movies are there and there sometimes when it's just they just do Chinese movies. But even the the covers of the posters or the content of whatever the movie is sometimes has to be crafted uh, way before uh, they decide to do a China release because sometimes there are certain movies that can make it there and some that can make it there. So I'm noticing that people have to think way ahead if you're trying to attract a Chinese audience. Absolutely. And uh, and at first level, there's a lot of censorship. So first of yes. all, very few uh, American movies are, are authorized uh, in China. Uh, and and you're right, it's funny you're talking about the, the posters of these movies, but if you take the, I think it was a few years ago, the Star Wars uh, movie, and there was a, a black a main character yes. in the U.S. 
original, which was erased in the China. I remember. China. Do you remember that anecdote? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because first of all, the guy is also Nigerian. He's British. He's Nigerian. So I, I was like, yeah, what's my guy? <laughs> but um, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, and the, what was the rationale behind that? Was it that they thought it wasn't going to sell, or what was that? What was it? Absolutely, it's uh, pure, pure racism. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that, but that is so fascinating because it is so interesting that if you don't think that ahead, you could lose a significant market share. Now, then, how do you then market in censorship? With censorship, are there ways you can still attract a Chinese consumer? All right, or, or that do you have to use different uh, marketing channels, or I don't know. I'm just curious. How, how do you work with censorship in mind? But the 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 line is very blurry regarding censorship. Uh, mm. But for instance, the governments uh, banned uh, the hip hop culture, tattoos. You cannot see men wearing uh, earrings. But maybe it will be on TV and not on social media. You cannot also represent uh, homosexuality. But at the same time, you have Timor uh, for Chinese New Year releasing a gay advertisement for the first time. So the lines are very blurry. Uh, but I think what's for sure is that there's, a, there's still a, a higher conservatism in, in China. And mm. you cannot, for instance, if we talk about the, the representation of sexiness, in China, you cannot go as far, of course, as you would um, in uh, in the U.S., but not because of censorship. I would say because of Chinese culture, uh, and because there are sex, you're about sex, scenes, sex scenes and things like that. Sexiness, yeah. When you, yeah, yeah. because I, we work a lot for beauty brands or fashion brands, and a trend is, of course, to uh, represent more sexiness and play with sexiness. But this is something that is not still not. Uh, Totally uh, acceptable in China and has to be uh, has to be adapted. Yeah, no, this, this is very very important for uh, people to understand. Now let's think about the the Chinese market. It, it's regardless of what's happening, it's here to stay. They have their own version of Facebook, their own version of Twitter, their own version of of several things, and it does well. We just at the beginning of the year, the NBA's secondary market. You know, NBA, basketball is my favorite sport. Mm -hmm is China, right? Uh, there is a significant investment that a lot of brands are making to go there because the one is a lot of money to be made, but even despite the censorship, there's still a lot of desire for people to interact with uh, with several candidates uh, that are in the Western world. But the basketball thing is fascinating to me because most of the basketball players are black, right? And a lot of people in China love basketball. So the Star Wars thing, when it happened, I was like, ah, wait, but don't you like basketball? <laughs> and all this, me, uh, what is the difference with that? Yeah. I think this is, uh, this is evolving. If you're referring to, uh, we were talking about racism in China, you need yeah. to have in mind that there is no di ethnic diversity in China. Yes. If you, the U.S. are a multiracial country, and it's taken for granted that everyone is different and everyone has a different race and colors. We can talk about races. In China, it's a Han country. It's 99% uh, of the population comes from the same race. So they are not exposed to diversity. Of course, now they are more and more exposed to diversity through the media. But this is not something that you see in the street. You see what I mean? Yeah. So they have yeah. a very different conception of, uh, and they are very uh, lagging behind. I think uh, communication in China is lagging behind in terms of inclusivity. That's for sure. But that being said, I think 
under the influence notably of rap music and hip hop. Yeah, uh, black yeah. becomes trendy, and you're absolutely right, probably basketball as well. And there's a new trend right now in China called um, Pretty Black, and it's very interesting. You have a couple of, uh, just a couple of, uh, of star um, of celebrities in China, women, who have tanned skin, tanned skin, and this is unique in a country where uh, having a fair skin is you know, part of unconditional beauty. For the first time, you have two celebrities um, who, by the way, were uh, ambassadors for uh, Fenty and I think Bobby Brown, uh, who yeah. have tan skin, who are not, and who are um, disrupting uh, the, the standard uh, beauty Chinese codes, which are um, being skinny, being super, super young. Like, I think one of them is 26, which is very old, <laughs> quote unquote, for China. Uh, really? So we see. 26 is old for China? There's a cult for youth in China. If you look at all the male brand ambassadors of luxury brands, they're all 21, 22. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just shocked by that. <laughs> um, no, but, but yeah. It just means that, that things are slowly evolving. It's a slow evolution. But of course, there's a huge gap between, in terms of inclusivity and, and representation of diversity between, uh, between the US and, um, and China. And, and, and the US are, are of course, uh, showing the way. Well, I mean, there's still a lot to be done here, but it's interesting uh, just, to, just to see how different pieces of media are consumed. Well, then my, my question then is, how is China different from the rest of the, the Asian market? Is there a difference? Are there similarities? How do the Western audiences market in, say, South Korea versus China or, uh, you know, other East Asian countries? Hmm. So how to answer that question, but uh, I think China... <laughs> Uh, absorbs. It's a very good question because usually people don't make any differences between. That's on the other yeah. side. <laughs> where people are assuming. Absolutely right. It's a yeah. it's a very different market. Um, I don't know how to answer your question. There are a lot of influences that uh, China is absorbing from, uh, as you know, of course, from uh, from uh, Korea. Uh, yeah. Now it's a paradox because there's a, you know, how, how key beauty and all these standardized beauty codes actually were reinforced uh, in China because of Korea, uh, because of key beauty. And right now it's the opposite. Now we observe uh, in Korea a um, new uh, movement towards women emancipation, women just uh, uh, trying to show themselves on social media without any makeup. And this is <laughs> um, now influencing China. So you have a whole dynamic in Asia of, uh, of um, successive influences, but it's, it's very complex and it's very hard to, uh, to, to have a clear overview of uh, uh, clear different trends. Right. right. Well, the reason I, yeah, I was asking is because it's something I've noticed. There's uh, you know, this group BTS. There are a lot of K-pop influence, Korean pop, and all these things. And I, you know, I often find myself having conversations with people about East Eastern Asian in particular. And people often, like you say, they conflate the two. They think, oh, I saw this movie from Korea and Japan, so that means that's how China does it. Or all that or vice versa. And I, you know, based on, you know, the friends that I've had, and I used to live in, in uh, Vietnam where it's it's a different Asian country, I was exposed to certain differences there that you have to really be aware of. And I think there also needs to be some education here on this side as to the fact that, yes, even though 
I, you know, a large part of China it, it consists of the Han people. The I, the whole Eastern Asia uh, part of, of the world is diverse. They have different things, right? You know, Japan does something different than it does, than South Korea does, than China does, than, you know, South Asia, India does. And, and it's very important that marketers understand that you can't just say, I'm marketing to Asia. This is then it's going to work for every single one. You have to still do mm -hmm. the research. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to answer your question. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. No, it, it's just a, it was just a comment. But it's, it, it, I, I guess the larger point there is research matters, right? If you really yeah. want to understand yeah. the, the way to reach someone, you need to understand what motivates them and what gets them to buy. Yeah, we were we were talking uh, before previously about fair skin, for instance, and then you could have a clear hierarchy and see that okay in Korea, in Japan, fair skin is uh, number one <laughs> in terms of importance. Then number two would be Korea, and number three would be China. So I think there are no fundamental differences in terms of trends. Of I mean, the trends that I know uh, related to fashion, beauty, and yeah. all that. Uh, between the three countries, but it would be a, a different level of importance and maybe you hierarchize uh, different uh, trends uh, differently. Absolutely. But there are no Absolutely. fundamental differences, I would say. It's same for masculinity, for instance, the, all this trend uh, which has been going on for, uh, for a few years in China about the little fresh meats, so very feminine, uh, quote-unquote, masculinity, uh, which comes from... Uh, from Korea, so these, this masculinity would be even more uh, feminine in in Korea than uh, than in China, for instance. But it's the same uh, the same huh. influence trend going on. So the definition of masculinity is changing in different in, in these countries. You're saying? Oh yeah, there's definitely a yeah feminization of um, of masculinity going on in China. Yeah, oh, it's funny because now the new trend is that is, is we're reaching. Um, a balance, sort of balance between the uh, masculine and the uh, and, and feminine uh, sides of, of men, but it's a uh, um, it's a Chinese masculinity is definitely more more feminine than uh, in the U in the West and in the US in particular. Really, that's I, I wow, that's interesting because yeah, even but here I, I always define you know there's a spectrum right you know masculinity femininity and people everybody has different versions of your masculine and feminine side but you know sometimes the, there are stigmas that come with that but you're saying china's embracing different aspects of that so that's huh, okay yeah, in China, they have no problem to represent men uh, wearing makeup uh, uh you know dyeing their hair um having wow. perfect skin uh, and be very fashionable and skinny <laughs> <laughs> um, what, matters, what matters is that they embody. I think. I think um, the China market is uh, led by women, so a lot of um, brands are targeting women actually, which is why it's a paradox. It's a total reversal of gender roles, but um, men are objectified to the gaze of women. They are seen through the gaze of women. Oh. Uh, which is the exact opposite in the U.S. Right? I was going to say, that's not even how it is here. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, wow. so they appear, they appear as, uh, they're all, all men are embodiment of the perfect boyfriend or the perfect husband. So they would have, so of course we're talking about physical appearance. You have, uh, you know, they have to be, uh, again, as we said, uh, very cute and, and looking very uh, innocent uh, 
and uh, and nice and and gentle and uh, sensitive. And then you have another category which is about the bad boy, so they have to be uh, yeah more sexy. Uh, but it's always in the gaze through the gaze of women. Through the, wow, through the gaze of the uh, the gaze of a woman. Um, and by the way, we're talking about gaze as in look, G A Z E. Uh, so it's, it's that's interesting. Wow, you you're uh, I don't know, you're bl- blowing my mind here. This this is my favorite thing to do, by the way, just to <laughs> dissect and the co- different cultures because it, we live in such a rich world and we don't get to explore that. And I I think it's so cool that you have a career that is based solely on this and to provide this information. I, I'm curious, I'm curious though now, the type of clients you have, what are the top requests that you see come through? Mm-hmm. Um, my clients, uh, so again, it's luxury brands from different, uh, yeah, luxury different brands, yeah. or, or luxury groups. Um, they would, um, they would come to me because, um, either they made mistakes, uh, especially in the, either in the way they embody the brand. So, uh, when they choose an ambassador or, or, um, or they just observe, you know, when you go to the doctor for a checkup, yes. you know, this is usually uh, the kind of studies that we get and we would do for them what we call a brand cultural audit, which is to put on the table all their uh, territory of expression, um, their, uh, you know, their, their advertisements, their uh, social media content, their brand ambassador, their retail environments. And we would test what is, resonating for the Chinese audience, what is dissonant, and tell them, okay, you should uh, uh, and, and revise their, their branding uh, strategy for, for China. Um, and sometimes it can be more localized. They can, have, uh, they can ask us, for instance, uh, to help them uh, select uh, a brand ambassador. Or just when they want to, they have, a brand, they, they, they have an idea in mind of a new uh, global brand ambassador, but they want to make sure that in China, uh, this ambassador will be, you know, um, appealing enough and uh, and resonating with the brand, which is not often the case. Um, what else? We also do brand naming. We help translate um, brand names into Chinese. Gosh, this this is like the dream job for you. You love research. I mean, talking to you even before the show, you you were expressing yourself that you're saying, oh, yeah, research, research, research. And you found a career where you do exactly that. This is perfect. Exactly. <laughs> and at, at group level, we also do interesting studies because we, we, we decode, and this is more about semiotics, we decode or luxury communication codes uh, in the U.S. versus uh, uh, versus uh, China, for instance, or how to raise emotion uh, in the U.S. versus China, um, humor, masculinity, you know, this kind of a uh, more transversal. Uh, I love um, it. I love it. Okay, okay, so then someone now, someone is here, maybe a CEO or marketing official is listening. We need to get Lawrence. Where, where can they find you? Uh... We have a website. You mean uh, in terms of uh, communication? Yeah, they, they want they want to work with you. They want to <laughs> say, "Oh gosh, I gotta get her. She knows exactly <laughs> what she's talking about." Where where do we go? They can contact me on my. Um, they can contact me on my on my LinkedIn or or uh, through the website. Um, okay, LinkedIn and website. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes. <laughs> I'll, I'll have that in the show notes for that. You're, and, you're um, my- <laughs> what? You're my new PR. <laughs> of course, of course. I love promoting great, great, great uh, 
of brands, but also great messages. And you you are a deliverer of, of a great message. And you're a bridge. My thing is to be a bridge between cultures. That's why this podcast exists. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're helping correct some of the cultural faux pas. And, um, you know, you've educated me plenty in this episode. So I'm just excited to share that message. Thank you. All right. All right. Well, before we go, I always ask uh, this question. My last question is this. Uh, it's my mission statement, reframed as a question. And my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So how do you use your difference to make a difference? Oh. I know. Uh, tough, tough question, yeah. <laughs> the tough <laughs> questions. But, I, but you got it, though. I mean, I, I, I feel like you, you got an answer. I think I use my difference to help brands be more aware of their own difference. Mm. and make them aware of the difference of the local market they want to uh, develop into. Does that make sense? Ow, <laughs> mic drop! <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> uh, that is, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's obviously, that's obviously what you do, but that's a skill set, and that difference comes from your personal and your professional experience, so I absolutely love it, yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, this has been really, really fun. I want to thank you for coming on the show. Till next time, ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 